0: Somewhere, but as a Christian, maybe you found yourself overwhelmed with life, feeling like, "Man, you're just not." It's one day at a time, right? And, and, and you may have even started singing that song. Sometimes I say to my wife, "Hey, how's it going today?" And she starts singing, "Living on the Prayer." My title is almost the same. Okay, I just took out one word intentionally, one letter intentionally, because. I want us to know, as Christians, uh, we have to live on prayer. Um, And I want to talk about prayer today in maybe a little different fashion than maybe you're used to hearing. What is prayer? A lot of people pray. Uh, Christians, of course, are supposed to pray. It's part of what we do. But other people pray, too. Non-Christians pray. Atheists sometimes pray. Of course, if they do, then they have to become agnostic. They don't know if they know that or not. Everyone prays, but... Is the definition of prayer making your request to God? Asking God for something. That's what a lot of people think of when they think of prayer. Prayer is when I ask God for something. But I want you to know that when you study the Gospels and the life of Jesus, when you read the New Testament, and you look at the life of the Christians in the first church, prayer isn't about asking God. Prayer is a relationship. Prayer is a relationship with God in which you depend daily on His power and His presence in your life, in which you get to know God more. You always, want, everyone wants to know what's God's plan for my life. Let me tell you, first and foremost, it is to know Him. That is His plan. You need to know Him. Prayer is a relationship with God. Today, you're going to see in the Gospels the story of Jesus healing a man that the disciples could not heal. And they asked him, why couldn't we do it? And the answer was simple. It was by prayer. But you're going to see, it wasn't this special secret prayer that Jesus had up his sleeve that he pulled out for the tough ones. It was this relationship with his father that he had. And that prayer relationship, that relationship in which he was constantly communicating with God, and God was communicating with him, so he could know God's will. And in this situation, it was God's will for this man to be healed. You see, if you don't know God, you won't know His will. And if you don't know His will, you won't know how to pray. You won't know what to pray for, because prayer is this relationship with God. So, let's relate to God... In prayer, um, as I always begin a message, if you would, pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us so much, that you care about all all of our needs, all of our issues, all of the things going on in our life, that when we call out to you in prayer, it's not just to ask, but it's to relate to you. Help us, teach us that truth this morning, that we need you. We need you first and foremost. The relationship must come before the request. Father, teach us more about you today. Open our eyes to see truth. Use me, Father, to bring that truth. And I pray that it would would be heard and it would be received and it would be acted upon. I pray this in Jesus' name. The church said, Amen. 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 Don't be so quiet this morning. Don't be so quiet. Preacher needs encouragement, right? Last week we saw this uh, story of Jesus going up the mountain and being transfigured. If you missed that, you can catch that on our website and and our YouTube page. But man, what an amazing experience Peter, James, and John had when they went up that mountain with Jesus and they saw him in all his glory. Maybe you want to come back. I mean, have you ever been on the mountaintop? Have you ever gone somewhere or just been on a spiritual high and you just didn't want to come down? I mean, that is a wonderful experience when you have those opportunities. And that was my challenge, really, for you last week, was you need to get up the mountain more often. On Sunday mornings, we try to kind of bring the mountain to you, if you will. But there's times where you need to go, be on your own, Solitude, be in prayer, go be with the Lord, and worship Him. Sometimes you just need to get away. I'm thankful this week coming up, it's just been, well, we have a song um, in our household since you know, we have teenagers and we have, uh, my wife's a teacher, we both used to be teachers, but the song was Wake Me Up When September's Over, <laughs> because September is just tough. It's just getting back into the grind of going to school day to day. So, I'm excited that this week we're, we're going to take a day off of school. We're going to go away for a couple nights to a really um, uh, a, kind of a neat uh, um, retreat center over on Lake Michigan and Muskegon. Um, they give one night pastor free um, stay. So, we're going to go enjoy some of the fall colors over there for a couple nights. So, that's our getaway. You know, we want to we go up on the mountain for a couple days. So if we come back on Sunday and I'm in the pulpit glowing like Moses, you'll know why. That's why we were on the mountain. But as you know, we can't stay on the mountain, right? I mean, you've been to spiritual uh, places before, maybe you've been to retreats. I've been to retreats and I've seen people's hearts changed. I've seen hearts soften. I've seen people make commitments to the Lord, vows. They're going to go back and they're going to be different. Things are going to be different. And then reality sets in real quick. You ever been there? You just know, okay, Listen, I'm, it's going to be different now. And then, it's not. Peter, James, and John were probably coming down that mountain thinking to themselves, things are going to be different, man. We're going to make some changes. We're going to make some changes. We're going to tell everybody what we saw. Jesus is God. We're going to let everybody know. But then Jesus Kind of burst their bubble, man. Mark 9-9. This is what he says to them. They were coming down the mountain, and Jesus charged them, tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Remember, this is the last year of the life of Jesus. He's in that time where he is now heading to the grave, heading to the cross. And, of course, they didn't really want to hear that, because the Messiah is supposed to restore the kingdom to Israel. And they didn't want to hear this. But He's setting them up. He's helping them understand. He has to die for where there is no um, shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So He has to go to the grave. And they didn't like that, but this is what it is. So they're coming down this mountain. And it's about to get worse, because if Peter, James, and John were on the mountain with Jesus, that means the other nine guys, the other nine disciples, are back, right, in in Galilee. And they're coming back to Him, and we're going to pick this up in Mark chapter 9, verse 14. So if you have your Bible, you can open up. If you have your digital Bible, feel free to have that available. If you need a Bible... Church, where is the Bibles at? There are free in here. Right in the back by the TV. Alright, so grab a free Bible. And there's actually some in some chairs in front of you. Some pew Bibles if you'd like to um, take care of it. Take a look at those. So Mark 9, verse 14. When they came down the mountain to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them. And scribes argued with them. Now remember those scribes, those are the religious leaders that basically knew the law and they were making sure that everyone dotted the I's and crossed the T's for all the laws. So they were like holding people accountable and they were arguing with these disciples. So basically this is what I see. Mountaintop to the valley of the shadow of death in one day. Sounds about right, doesn't it, sometimes? In your life? Immediately, verse 15, the crowd saw Jesus. They were greatly amazed, ran up and greeted Him. Because He's he's famous now. He's been doing miracles, feeding 5,000 plus, feeding 4,000 plus, (laughs) healing. He's, He's been around Galilee and He's very popular and famous now. And so, they saw him, they ran to him, and Jesus said to them, What are you arguing about? What's this argument about? Jesus wants to know. And the disciples, as you're going to find out in a second, were probably going, Shh, shh, be quiet. Shh. You don't want to know what we're <laughs> arguing about. Alright? Verse 17: someone from the crowd spoke up. Teacher, he says, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. It's a demon that's making him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able to do it. Now, if you're the disciples, this is really troubling, because the disciples had been given the power to do this. If you go back a little bit, they had been sent out, two by two, to towns all over Galilee, and they were given the power to cast out demons, to heal. Remember Jesus giving them the command and sending them to if you go to a town and they don't receive you, you know, shake off the dust of your sandals. Remember that message a while back? And so they had been doing this, and now they can't do it. And I just imagined for a moment the conversation that was going on between the disciples. Because once you, once you look in the scripture and you, and you see the, the personalities of the disciples, and that's one of the, the neat things about the, the um, two seasons of The Chosen, if you've watched The Chosen. On video, um, you, you see the, the, the character of these disciples, the personalities of these disciples. Matthew, the tax collector, the anal one, was probably going, Philip, you're not doing it right. Do it like you did exactly the last time. You know those left-brained, anal, you know, math people, you know? Do it this way. This step, and this step, and then this step. Right? That was Matthew. Then there was Simon the Zealot, right? He was was the fighter, the warrior, right? He was trained to fight. And Jesus called him. He was probably like, I'll beat it out of that man. I'll beat that demon up. And then there was Thomas, who probably just sat there doubting it was even possible. Because he's doubting Thomas. Andrew, Simon's brother, Peter's brother, was probably thinking what I'm always thinking. I'd rather be fishing right now. <laughs> so this is the scene, right? These nine disciples got their heads down. They're disappointed. They couldn't get the job done. And now they're embarrassed, because here's Jesus. And, and, and then Jesus says this to, to really kind of add fuel to their embarrassment. Jesus said, verse nineteen, "Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring this man to me. Now this seems a little harsh, doesn't it? A little pretty pretty rough, tough rebuke there. The disciples weren't completely faithless. I mean, just a little bit ago, Peter said, You're Jesus, the Son of the Living God. He made that great confession of who Jesus was. Here's why I think Jesus said this. Where did Jesus come from? He didn't just, his his life didn't originate upon his birth in Bethlehem, when we talk about it at Christmas. He came from heaven, because he always was, because he's God. So he came down from a place that always has faith, to a place that always lacks faith. And I think for a moment here he was just thinking about heaven versus where he was. I could be wrong, but I think this is part of what he, why he says this. this. This place of people lacking faith all the time. Faith is a big deal. When I was a high school teacher, I had on my wall painted... A saying that I love. And the saying was, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I use that to teach my high school students that the people you hang out with are going to influence you. They're going to influence your behavior, your attitude, your choices. Would you all agree with that? People you spend time with are going to influence you? You do have friends, right? They do influence you? Absolutely, they do. My question to you is, are you spending time with people that have great faith? Or are you spending a lot of time with people that lack faith? And I'm not telling you to ditch your friends if they don't have faith. I'm just asking you to think about who you spend your time with. Because I want to spend my time with people that have great faith, Because I know they will influence me. If you want to have great faith, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Because that's the key. Be around people that have great faith. Mark 9, verse 20. They brought the boy to Jesus. The spirit saw Jesus, and immediately convulsed in the boy, and he fell on the ground. He rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Now, perhaps you've seen a person have a seizure. Perhaps you say, this just seems like maybe this is epilepsy. Sounds like epilepsy? What's going on here? How do we know this is actually a demon? Well, it says that the demon comes out. So that's how we know. We Keep reading, we'll see the rest of the story. But I do want to talk about demons for a little bit, not just because next month is October and Halloween and all that stuff, but, because it's mentioned here in the scripture, and I want to talk about, maybe you've asked yourself this question before, but how come there's a lot of talk about demons, casting out demons, around the time of Jesus, but then in the Old Testament, you you barely see it mentioned. It's barely mentioned. The answer to that, I think, is in Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15, the first Bible of the book in the Bible, talks about when Adam and Eve were enticed to sin by the evil one. And God then punished the serpent. And He said, and the serpent, of course, is the devil. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. By the way, the first prophecy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Come The devil's fight is with Jesus. I know sometimes we think the devil's fight is with us. But the devil's fight is ultimately with Jesus. This is why there are so many demons at the time of Jesus. Because he left heaven and he came To live on earth like us. And the devil said, let's go boys. And he took his army to meet up with Jesus. This is serious stuff here. Today, the devil and his demons roam the earth. They have been given that permission by God for a time. For a time. Now, there are some today that overemphasize demons. And there are some today that underemphasize demons. I think the mon- minority is overemphasizing. Um, I know individuals, know a group, uh, a church, that thinks every sin in a person's life is a demon possession, and they need to get that demon out. And they do some weird stuff, I'm just going to leave it at that. Bizarre things to get the demon out. But the truth is, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Not every sin in our life is a demon in us that needs to be removed. But then there's those that underemphasize, which I think is the majority. Barna did some research, said that of all the people that believe in the devil, which is about 70%, this study was done a while back, out of those 70%, half of the people, around half of the people that believe in the devil, don't really believe in the devil as a real being. The devil is just uh, evil. You know, you heard people say, the devil made me do it, Yeah, you know, evil. But the devil is a real being that a lot of people don't even believe that he is a real being and there are real demons. And here, in Scripture, this demon is ruining this man's life, and has been for a very long time. Jesus asked His Father verse 21, How long has this been happening to him? And He said, from childhood. Now we don't know how old this man is. This, I mean, he, he could be 20, he could be you know, 15. We, we don't know, but we can see it's been years. Years this has been going on. I was asked an important question last Sunday. A question that pastors get asked all the time. The question was Why must I suffer for so long? We get asked that a lot. Why do people suffer? Because when we think of suffering, we think of, man, it's just not fair. Why Why do people have to suffer? Why does God allow us to suffer for so long? This, this poor father watched his boy suffer for years and years and years. And when you are a parent and you see your kids suffer, you suffer. Yesterday, we had a full house for a memorial for Monica Estes, and she had passed away from a long battle of cancer. She suffered for a long time. It's painful to see that. Her four children, her fiancé, Diedrich, you know, I'm, I'm sure they, they just scratched their head. Why? Why does why she have to suffer for that long? Why? You ever ask that question? You ever see someone suffer? You ever wonder why? Why is that necessary for someone to suffer? I don't have words for you. I, I, I think all explanations fall short, to be honest. I think most of the time, almost all the time, when someone is suffering, the best thing you can do is just give them a hug and hold their hand and sit next to them and talk to You don't, don't even really have to talk to them. You just got to be there for them. But here's what I do know that the Word tells us. Jesus wept when Mary Martha's brother died. Jesus knows our pain. Jesus understands suffering. The world is always going to have suffering until Jesus comes back. But we have a Father that will carry us through it. We have this wonderful example in the Apostle Paul for many different reasons. He's a great example. But one of the examples is, in 2 Corinthians, he says that he had a real bad physical suffering. We don't know what it is. Everyone speculates maybe Paul had bad eyes or you know call it a thorn in his flesh. But he had some kind of physical suffering. And Paul says in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 12, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. That it would go away. That it would leave me. But God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul boasted all the more gladly of his weakness so the power of Christ would rest upon him." And he said, For the sake of Christ, I'm actually content. I'm okay with this suffering. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, all that was on top of his physical ailment. And then, of course, the famous words that he said, For when I am weak, then I am strong. In our weakness, God's power, can help us. God can carry us through our suffering. So I just want to encourage you today, if you're suffering, if you know someone that's suffering, jump into God's arms. Because He's the only one really that can carry you through He's the only one that can give you the power to make it through. That's why we must live on prayer. Because that's a daily dependence on His power and presence in your life. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Now we see this father's faith, his boy had been cast into the fire, verse 22, and into water. I mean, this this demon tried to do everything to kill this boy. And uh, the man says, if you can do anything, and then, you know, you have to kind of chuckle when you see that, right? When you imagine this man looking into the face of Jesus and saying, if you can do anything, have compassion on us, help us. Jesus then says, Calls him out on it right if you can. And then he says, All things are possible for the one who believes. Then that man thinks about that, and then he says, right back. I believe, help my unbelief. I love that saying. Amen. I believe, help my unbelief. I want to believe. Help me believe. This is what I call faith ping pong or faith tennis. <laughs> you ever watch a tennis match or a ping pong match? Now, I'm Help my friend out coaching tennis, and you know we watch the matches. And this is what I, you know, this is us, <laughs> back and forth, back and forth. Right? This is what's going on here. You know, if you can help us, well, I can help you if you believe. Well, I'll, I want to believe. Help me believe. <laughs> this could have went on back and forth for a long time. So, how much faith does this man need for his boy to be healed? We sang about it this morning. How much faith? Matthew actually records it. Faith the size of a mustard seed. Which I've never planted a mustard seed, so I really don't know the exact size of that, but I'm pretty sure it's really, really tiny. Because most seeds are are really, really tiny. So it's very little faith, and yet you can move mountains. Of course, it's figurative right there, but we can do... God can do anything. I want to remind you about faith. There's many in Christian circles that teach that it's faith that heals. But I want to remind you what that means exactly. Biblically, it means that faith moves you to the one who can heal. Faith does not have any power in its own. Faith plugs you in to the one who has the power. This man brought his boy to Jesus. That shows his faith. He moved his son to the presence of Jesus. Jesus is the one who can heal. He's the one who has the power to heal. Please never forget that. If anyone's ever told you you don't have enough faith and that's why you're not healed, Jesus is the one who has the power to heal. Amen. You go to him. Jesus saw the crowd it was coming together in verse 25 he rebuked the unclean spirit. He said, you mutant and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Crying out and convulsing him terribly, the spirit, the demon came out. The boy was like a corpse. Some of them would say, said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And Jesus did what the disciples could not do. He cast out this demon. I think there are many miracles Christians are not experiencing today for the same reason the disciples could not cast out this evil spirit. What was missing? What's the key to all of this? Verse 28 and 29 tell us, they entered the house privately they asked Jesus, why could we not do it? What did we do wrong? I bet you they were tired of saying that. Jesus, what did we do wrong this time? (laughs) Verse 29, he said, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. But prayer. Prayer is what made it happen. It wasn't a special secret prayer that Jesus had that only he could say to his Father. No, it was a relationship of prayer with his Father. A relationship. Prayer is a relationship with God. And I just want to remind you, and I already know you probably know this, but prayer is not you doing all the talking. Relationships is not a one-sided conversation. You ever been in those before? Yeah. Yeah, They're not fun. <laughs> right? Unless you're a counselor and you get paid to listen to time. <laughs> no. Prayer is a relationship. You talk, you listen to God's Word, you obey, you depend on Him. You respond to what he's saying. Now some, of, some manuscripts, some of your Bibles might say that this, this kind of would come out by prayer and fasting. Some of the, earlier, or the um, later manuscripts said fasting. Well, what's fasting? You may have heard me teach on this before. Fasting shows how badly you need God's help. The word fast just simply means cover your mouth. That's all the word means. And we have lots of examples in the Bible of people fasting, they covered their mouth, they didn't eat, to show God, listen God, we're not going to eat until you help us. That's how badly they needed God's help, that's how much they were depending on God. Next month we're going to have a day where we fast for love life. We have a whole week that we're dedicating to um, helping, praying for Um, the end of abortion in America. Love Life is an organization that um, we're going to partner with for for a week and we'll give you all the details on that. But We'll fast because we believe we need God's help to make that a reality. Total dependence on God. Prayer and fasting. Totally depending on God. That's the relationship aspect. I want to finish with just three things that I hope will help you with prayer. I know you pray but I, I and I hope today maybe more than any. You're, you're again. You've seen prayer is not just you know asking God for things, but it's a relationship with God. It's a it's a communion with the Father. And then three things that real quick that I think will help you live on prayer. Um, a couple verses to set them up. Each one. First of all, First John one six. First John one six. If ye, if we say we have fellowship with God. But we walk in darkness. We lie and don't practice the truth. Psalm sixty-six, eighteen 18 says, If I cherished iniquity, sin, in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. It's a clear teaching in Scripture that says, when we're in sin, it breaks our fellowship with God. It breaks our relationship with God. There's there's a there's a gap there. You've heard of people that they don't talk anymore to one another. Sometimes it's siblings, sometimes it's friends. There's a break in the fellowship because of something that happened. Well, well sin will do that. It kind of breaks your fellowship. It doesn't you don't lose your salvation. I'm not teaching that. I don't teach that. It's breaking your fellowship. But a little bit later in First John, he says if you confess your sin. God is faithful and just and He will forgive you. So what, what, what should be something that happens daily in your conversation with God? Confessing. Confessing your sin. That's right. Confession. Between you and the Father. That will help you live on prayer. Secondly, James 4, verses 2 and 3. James is talking to the church. The church had some problems. He said, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And then you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Pride ruins your prayer life. Pride ruins your prayer life. He says here you don't have because you do not ask. In other words, these Christians preferred to fight with one another than pray for one another. You know, I'm sure there's people in this world that you just like to say some things, like to do some things to. That's our pride, welling up in us. And we just need to pray for them. Pray for them. You do not have because you do not ask. The second part of that, he says that you pray for things that are your selfish desires? Because your pride says it. you want them, you pray for them. So pride ruins your prayer life. Okay? Sin breaks that fellowship. Pride makes it even worse. And but on a positive note, 1 John 5, 14 and 15, this is the confidence we have towards Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. If we know He hears us, And whatever we ask, we know we have the request that we asked of Him. And this is what I've been saying this whole time. That when we pray according to God's will, you always get a yes. It's never a no. When you ask according to God's will. George Mueller had orphanages, started orphanages. There were times where those orphans would go to the dinner table and there was no food. There was no money for food. They would pray for God to provide. And at the very hour, the very dinner hour, the mail would come and they would be money to buy food. God would give them what they needed at exactly the time they needed. The Apostle Paul needed strength to overcome his physical suffering. And God provided for him. King David often prayed because he was so alone. Felt so far from everyone else. But God would comfort him. God knows your struggles. He knows where your pain is. He knows how you're hurting. And he will give you what you need at exactly the time you need it. That's grace. That's his grace. And when you pray according to God's will, you're always going to get yes. It's always going to be a yes. That's why you have to know God. So you can know as well. The relationship has to come first. Prayer is a relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for loving us so much and being so patient with us. There's so many times that we don't even understand why we're not hearing from you, we're not getting the answer. Help us to see if there's a sin in our life that needs to be confessed, if there's pride that's wrecking things for us. But most of all, Father, reveal Yourself to us so we can know You, so we can know Your will, and so we can pray according to it, so we can receive what we ask for. Most of all, Lord, I pray that the relationship we have with You the friendship that we have with your son Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. And we can go to you with everything in prayer. In Jesus' name.